Thank you. Thank you, music team, for that beautiful rendition of Psalm 121. Please be seated. So we have both of our uh, pastors away today, and I have the opportunity to bring God's Word to you. As you heard, my name is Brian Zutel. I'm one of the two pastoral interns here at Aliso Creek Church, and I'm honored and joyed to bring you God's Word today from Psalm 121. Have any of you ever seen a jet airplane land on an aircraft carrier? You know, living around here where we do in Southern California, maybe you've seen that before. But have you ever wondered, how do you land a jet airplane traveling 150 miles per hour on an aircraft carrier deck less than 500 feet long, all while the aircraft carrier is moving through the waters at approximately 30 miles per hour, bobbing up and down with the waves and adjusting for the wind? Well, short answer, the meatball. That's what the pilots call it, the meatball, is, is how they land. Or more formally, known as the Fresnel Lens Optical Landing System. So when pilots first started landing on, on aircraft carriers, uh, they would do so visually. They would look, they would adjust, they, there might be a guy on the deck there who was helping to, to guide them in. But as jets became more advanced, as planes became faster and more powerful, they realized this was not going to cut it. They needed something more to be able to land on the ship with these jet aircraft. And so they came up with the meatball or the Fresnel system to guide them in and to perfect the landing on the aircraft carrier on the ship. So the system consists of a number of, of lights that give visual cues to the pilot as he comes in and also... Uh, gives him an idea where he is relative to the ship and also provides for him lights that they can wave off or that they can tell the pilot, cancel, cancel, you need to return back around because we're not ready for you. And without the advanced systems that we have today in our airplanes, this is what the pilots had to rely on when they came to land on an aircraft carrier. The pilot had to fix his eyes on the meatball, on the Fresnel system in order to come in for aid, for direction, for his approach, for landing on the ship, and for canceling his landing if, if needed. He needed to know whether to go higher or lower, faster or slower. The pilot using, using this system had to fix his eyes on the meatball, on the Fresnel system, in order to safely land his plane there on the aircraft carrier. Our passage today reminds us that we have to look to the hills, that we have to look to God and fix our eyes on Him throughout our lives to direct us, to preserve our lives, to provide the help and the surety that we need in our lives. It's interesting to note in, in studying this passage how many famous Christians over various eras have loved Psalm 121, how much it's meant to them. I read that uh, David Livingston, the famous missionary to Africa, before he left England, he read Psalm 121 with his family dockside, then left for Africa, praying that God would protect him and his, and his uh, wife that was going with them, and they would, they would keep him in that foreign land. And this is also the great psalm that Charles Spurgeon described as one of his favorites, because it's both the soldier's song and the traveler's hymn, taking that shield imagery and the traveling descriptions from Psalm 121. It's a beautiful psalm that we have a wonderful opportunity to look at today. But let's see the setting real quick of the psalm. So the Psalm 121 is set 
in the song, what are called the Song of Ascents, and that is Psalms 120 through 134 in our Psalter. It was probably sung, all these hymns were probably sung by Israelite pilgrims on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And depending on where those travelers came from, that pilgrimage could be many days before they reached Jerusalem. So this would mean multiple days and multiple nights, camping outside, walking in the hot sun, camping alongside fellow pilgrims that were making their way to Jerusalem, traveling the dusty roads, trying to get in those last few miles on the way to Jerusalem. So verses 1 and 2 of our psalm that we had the privilege to sing today give us the setting for the remainder of the psalm. So we'll look first at verses 1 and 2, which was the first verse of the psalm that we sang, for our setting and to help us understand the remainder of the psalm. So imagine this setting, if you will. Perhaps the sun is beginning to set over the hills. The pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem have just set up camp. They get the campfire going. The Israelite pilgrims are headed to Jerusalem to worship the the sovereign, omnipotent Lord who made heaven and earth. But the pilgrim looks and he sees looming dark hills around them where they stop for the night. Maybe he looks out to the hills and he, he sees another fire in the distance and he, he thinks perhaps it's just other pilgrims traveling to Jerusalem or perhaps it's a band of robbers. And then again, maybe the pilgrim says, maybe I'm just imagining it. Maybe it's not really there. And then he sees shadows moving across the hills. He stares out at the hills and he thinks about his nice, warm, safe house and bed that he left behind to travel to Jerusalem to worship God. And just as he looks at the hills, he casts his gaze up and sees the stars and the moon coming out and beginning to twinkle. He looks to the hills and he cries out for reassurance, where does my help come from? And he reminds himself that his help comes from the Lord, the creator of those hills, those stars, that moon, the creator of heaven and earth. We see in verses 1 and 2, that they all contain the first-person pronoun. If you see that, I lift up, my eyes, my help comes from the Lord. So verses 1 and 2 give us the perspective of the writer who's lifting up his eyes, asking where his help comes from, and being reminded that his help comes from the sovereign Lord. And then we see in verses 3 through 8 of our psalm that perhaps his fellow companion or his fellow pilgrim responds to reassure his friend with this ever-expanding circle of promises about the Lord during their upcoming travels, their many travels ahead, and their whole lives. So like that, early first tra- like that first traveler in the psalm there, in times when we're scared or in a bad place, in a bad condition, financially, emotionally, physically, spiritually, our tendency, our human flesh tendency is to doubt God or to ask questions to forget his promises based on our circumstances. Like the psalmist here, we commonly ask, where is my help? Where does my help come from? And we can be reminded, like the psalmist here writes, my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the sovereign, omnipotent Lord. So we're going to look in this passage at three aspects from verses 3 through 8 the things that his fellow traveler reminds him of. And we'll see in each of these that the fellow traveler reminds his friend there that God provides, God protects, 
and God preserves. So our first point, God is provider. Remember his sure help from verses 3 and 4. God is provider. Remember his sure help. You know, there's an old saying that goes, there's two sure things in life, death and taxes, right? Well, let me add a third to you, a third for you, sleep. Now, maybe like you, like me, are thinking of your nice cozy couch or bed for that afternoon Sunday nap after church in your cool, warm, safe house. We all have to sleep, but the place where you sleep matters. It's difficult to fall asleep in a dangerous or, or a potentially dangerous place. And the psalmist knows this. He writes about this in verses 3 and 4. He says, The Lord will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The God who made heaven and earth is the one who's watching over you, the one who is not sleeping or slumbering. These Israelite pilgrims in Psalm 121 have left their safe, cozy homes and traveling on their way to Jerusalem, probably stopped for the night under the stars. They're not in their own beds. They're on a journey, and they haven't arrived in Jerusalem yet. They're looking around at the unfamiliar scene, and, and they're tempted to doubt, to worry, to fear. And perhaps as they're dozing off to sleep, they, they think to themselves, as the psalmist suggests here, know that the Lord keeps me. Know that the Lord will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is not like you and me. He watches over me as I sleep. He has no need for sleep. He's the all-powerful, sovereign God. He will preserve me in this strange place. You know those movies or those shows where you see the, the cowboys sleeping outside under the stars, the fellow cowboys keeping watch, and you have the fire going in the middle, and they fall off to, they fall off to sleep, and then the next scene of the show or the movie continues on. Now, how in the world does anyone fall asleep with their head on a rock with a fire in the middle? I, I don't get it. But some people, some people suggest one way that you are able to fall asleep outside is taking shifts, taking shifts, watching for people sneaking up on you, animals, rattlesnakes. The one thing that allows people they suggest, to sleep outside like this is when there's somebody taking watch, somebody keeping watch. Now, in our passage, we're reminded, though, that nobody needs to keep watch. There's no need to take shifts while sleeping because the God of Israel is ever watchful. He does not slumber or sleep. The Lord watches over us while we sleep. Do you remember the classic biblical story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah, by God's command, puts the prophets of Baal to a test in the sight of the people of Israel. And he wants to show them that God, not Baal, is the true God. So Elijah gathers the people to Mount Carmel, and he presents the test to the Baal prophets, encouraging them to prepare a sacrifice and then to call on the name of their God, Baal, to bring the fire down for the sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal, it says that they shout, they dance around the altar, they cut themselves, 
they do all the ritualistic techniques to have their false god, Baal, send fire. You see, the problem with idols is that we make idols just like ourselves. We make idols in our image. We make idols have the characteristics and the flaws of other humans, of us humans. And Elijah, the prophet of God, picks up on this. When he says in 1 Kings 18.27, he mocks the prophets of Baal saying, cry aloud for he is a god. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. The worshipers of Baal had made a god just like all the other humans. A Baal, a god Baal that needed sleep and had to be awakened for this sacrifice. Elijah shows us that our God is completely and wholly different from that. Our God does not need sleep or slumber. He is unique. He is different from us. He's always watching and protecting us. So as we fall asleep at night, as we approach a difficult situation, as we're met with the physical limitations of our limited bodies that still require sleep, will we remember the Lord who loves us, who provides for us, who watches over us as we sleep? This is the God who's provided faithfully for us throughout our lives, who provides us even the gift of sleep, who protects us as we sleep. When you go through a scary financial or physical or family situation, Will you remember the sovereign Lord who provides for you, who loves us in and through and because of Jesus Christ? Jesus reminds us in the Lord's Prayer that we said earlier to pray for our daily bread. But we pray for it knowing that God is a provider who will surely help so that we can be a blessing to others with God's blessings and provisions to us. So look to God as provider and look to our fellow brothers and sisters around here, who God has sovereignly appointed and brought in to be in this covenant community together to help, to assist, and to show God to one another. So let us make the Lord our confident rest because He always provides for us. Our second point in verses 5 through 6, God is protector Entrust yourself to his providential plan. God is protector. So in verses 5 and 6, the psalmist moves from the perils of sleep to the new perils of the day through the sun and the sneaky uncertainty of the night shown through the moon. In verses 5 through 6 read, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. One author that I read described this, uh, the sun here as if the army was coming to attack directly the pilgrims, and the moon here is as if sneaky thieves are attempting to infiltrate the traveler's camp and rob them. These are the perils that are imaged here with the sun and the moon. But I love how the, the New Living Translation puts uh, this, these two verses. It says, the Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The emphasis of the New Living Translation here is on the Lord watching over you, standing beside you, providing that protective shade. 
It's the Lord who is both our protection and our shade, who is close and provides refreshing shade. God's like that umbrella that we enjoy on a hot day like today, that umbrella in your backyard or at the beach that provides the cool shade and the protection from the scorching sun. God is the one who protects you from the striking sun. Knowing the the scorching power of the sun, perhaps this is why God promises in Revelation that in the new heavens and the new earth, the sun will not harm. John writes in the book of Revelation that in the new heaven and the new earth, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. The sun brings us wonderful warmth and light, but it also brings terrible striking and scorching heat. The Lord promises to preserve us in this life from the scorching sun of this world, but He also promises us that the sun in the new heaven and the new earth does not strike or scorch. That It's a wonderful sun there. Maybe some of you have been through the labor and delivery process at, at a hospital. I, I, with my wife, went through the process a little over a year ago for our baby boy, Caleb. As you know, you drive to the hospital, you check in, you get placed in a room, you get hooked up to the monitors, and then usually you wait for the the labor process to to start. I learned recently that it's traditional for some Jewish believers, even today, to place a copy of Psalm 121 in the labor and delivery room to promote an easy labor by asking God for mercy during the process, during, during the birthing process. And some of these believers also place a copy of Psalm 121 in the baby's carriage and in the baby's room at home to protect the child and surround them in learning with, with holy objects. It's easy to see why Jewish parents have cherished this psalm with their children for centuries. In Psalm 121, we, like children, are directed to our Heavenly Father. We are told to sleep and trust the Lord. We're told to travel and trust the Lord. We're told that the Lord is our keeper, our shield, our shade, our protector. In Psalm 121, we're reminded that God protects us and we must rest in His plan and His protection like children. So in this life, we'll we'll experience hardships, trials, setbacks. We don't read these, these verses as if suggesting we'll literally never be struck by the sun or moon or by bad things. Paul reminds us that in this world we face many trials, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword, all from Romans 8, 38 and 39. But we're also reminded that we have a loving God who offers us perfect protection through Jesus Christ, through His life, His death, His resurrection. We know that God's love through Jesus cannot be separated from His children. Through Jesus, we can experience perfect protection. So when the sun is striking you, when bad things are happening, to whom or to what will you look? Will you look to yourself, the government, parents, children, society, organizations, guns, houses, cars, money, security forces? Or will we look to the Lord who watches over us 
and protects us. Will we look to God's perfect protection from eternal death and damnation through trust in Jesus Christ? Will we trust the Lord who's our protective shade, the providential God who's numbered our days, prepared each day for us, who loves us and has a plan for our lives? Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Jesus and remember our great Lord's protection and entrust yourself to his providential plan. Now we come to the third point. God is preserver. From verses 7 and 8, the last two verses of our psalm. God is preserver. Follow him in your earthly pilgrimage. It's one thing to concentrate on the here and now, the problems that we face today or tomorrow and in our pilgrimage here on earth. But the psalmist doesn't leave us in the present only. The psalmist in verses 7 through 8 also directs our view to the rest of life and forevermore. Beyond the temporary events or the bad things that might happen to us in the present, the verses here in 7 and 8 describe how God preserves our lives, preserves our comings and goings, preserves us from all harm, and preserves us now and forever. In verses 7 and 8, the psalmist writes, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Note how the psalmist switches the verbs here. He switches to the future tense when he says, will keep, will keep, will keep. The psalmist wants to end this psalm by encouraging the readers to look beyond the current pilgrimage of this life to the rest of life and forevermore. The Lord is the one who preserves from evil. The Lord preserves life. The Lord protects comings and goings in the now and in the future. Now let's be realistic here. The psalmist is not saying that we'll be kept from all evil or that bad things will never happen. God doesn't promise a cushy life. But God promises a well-armed life a life prepared to face trials. We heard last week from Psalm 23 where David wrote that he could walk through the valley of the shadow of death without fear because the rod and staff of the Lord comforted him. Similarly, the the Lord promises that we can face trials and evils where he sustains us. And Jesus promises in John 10.28 that he gives us eternal life No one can be snatched out of his hand, and none in his hand will perish. Meaning that Jesus will preserve us throughout our earthly pilgrimage. I recently uh, reread one of the great Christian classics, Pilgrim's Progress, with my son Joshua. I'd forgotten how many times Christian, the main character, was so close to death. In one of the first scenes, Christian is caught in the slough of despond, sinking in the swamp until he's pulled out by help. Later, goodwill strongly pulls Christian into the wicket gate before Beelzebub 
and his minions can shoot arrows from the nearby castle to kill him. A short time afterwards, Christian faces Apollyon and is almost killed in the battle. And then later, in the town of Vanity Fair, Christian's companion Faithful is executed, and Christian is set to be the next one to be executed until he escapes. And through his great literary work, John Bunyan emphasizes the central truth of this psalm, that God preserves us according to his sovereign plan. And we have to trust him and follow him in our earthly pilgrimage. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ described such a situation. He, he described the trials and the persecution and even the potential death that awaited followers of him. And then he said in Luke 21, 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. How is Jesus able to describe persecution, potential death that awaits his followers and then state, not a, head, not a hair of your head will perish? It's in the same way that the psalmist here describes that the Lord will keep you from evil, will keep your life now and forevermore, that your eternal life in Jesus will be preserved. Jesus Christ is the only one who can make and fulfill this promise. He promises that those who humbly trust in His perfect life, His payment for sin by His death on the cross, his resurrection, his victory over death will not see eternal death. Through the work accomplished by Jesus, we can be assured, we can rest assured of the promise that the Lord will keep us from evil, that he will keep our lives, that he will keep our going out and our coming in. Through Jesus, we can trust the Lord for the provision here in our earthly pilgrimage and in our heavenly future. So what will you do when you receive that medical diagnosis or lose that job or are betrayed by that friend or lose a family member? How do we continue on? By knowing that God preserves us through Jesus. By knowing that we can trust our loving Lord during our earthly pilgrimage with our eyes on the heavenly future. We can face trials and persecution of this life because Jesus has promised and He's promised that He will eternally preserve us. This is how the author of Hebrews sets up the famous hall of faith in Hebrews 11. The author writes in Hebrews 10, 32-39 of the hard struggle with sufferings, the reproach and the affliction, the imprisonment, the theft of property of the early Christians. And then the author ends the chapter with this encouragement in verse 39. He says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So as you travel the dusty roads of this life on your pilgrimage to the heavenly Jerusalem, will you look to the hills, trusting God, our provider, our protector, our preserver, looking to the God-man, Jesus Christ, who walked those same dusty roads and gave up his perfect life to buy our pardon. Demonstrating completely that God will provide, will protect, will preserve us.
We're not blind to the trouble around us. But neither are we to fear the trouble. Jesus encourages us in John 16.33 when He says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. May we trust the Lord who through Jesus provides, protects, and preserves us to the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Psalm 121. Thank you for preserving this psalm, for reminding us that you are the God who protects, preserves, and keeps us. Thank you that our help doesn't come from ourselves, but our help comes from you, the one who made heaven and earth. Encourage us, Lord, to lift up our eyes to the hills, to lift up our eyes to you, to know where our help comes from, that it comes from you, and to know that you will keep us, our goings out, our comings in, from this time forth and forevermore, through Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.